Hello, everyone. I realize it's been a couple of weeks since my last episode, and I do want to address this time lapse um, just for a moment. In light of Women's History Month, I personally needed to take a break. Um, I had my attention focused other places, and you know, I've just been on this job hunt and dealing with some personal issues. So I took a little bit of time for myself because I needed it. However, I believe all of this is behind me now, and I can go back to my regularly scheduled bi-weekly shows and hopefully start bringing you that new content that I was teasing at the beginning of the year. So I'm really looking forward to all of that. I want to thank all of my listeners out there because this is a passion project and a solo adventure. So it means the world to me that people are actually listening and enjoying this show. You all know how much I care about biking and making biking more accessible and approachable. So every time a friend comes up to me and tells me that they liked something about the show or really connected with a segment, it just makes me melt inside. And I, you know, even with the hiatus, was able to break a thousand downloads this past week. So it's really just, it's been such an honor and I'm very excited to recommit to it this year. Thank you, everyone. Today marks episode 10, so here's to another 100. (laughs) We'll see, we'll see. (laughs) Okay, mushy part over with. Anyone who knows me very well knows that I hate sincerity, so I'm just going to cut right back to my usual, which is to tell you about what a great episode I have for you. In bike news, I enlisted my new friend, Bridget Tan, to talk to me, well, to talk to her about some infrastructure updates, including an e-bike rally, which I do apologize. You will hear uh, us discussing a date in out-of-date rally that happened, um, both in the fact that it was actually yesterday, not two weeks ago, and the fact that uh, it you know already passed. But all that being said, you can still reach out to your representatives and get these bills pushed through the state Senate because it still really needs to happen and they're still really important. So feel free to check in on all of that. Bridget and I also break down the perfect song to listen to while you ride your bike, both indoors and outdoors. So that was a lot of fun breaking that down with her. For friends on bikes eating dessert, I brought back my co-organizer and bike friend Saskia. Again, we did not eat dessert on the pod, but we will eat dessert and we talked about dessert. So, you know, counts. Uh, But what we did do was discuss the benefits of self-care and how biking can really improve your mental health. This topic is obviously very near and dear to me, and I loved this conversation. Finally, we wrap up with a deeper look at my new friend, YT. I have a lot of new friends in this episode. My new friend, YT, and how she's evolved from a skull leader to a bones leader, bones being the name of the new Um, kids riding group that she started last year. And we'll discuss kind of her journey around biking and what it was like bringing her kid into this biking uh, world Um, and how you can really just immerse your children in your own lifestyle to make that lifestyle more commonplace, like with biking. So that was really fun to kind of break that all down with her. We don't have a game this week, but 
it's spring. It's starting to warm up. It's going to be a whole 60 degrees today. And this spring and summer, I'll be able to ride outside with my friends again. So we'll start having full episodes back in no time. Thank you, everyone. And here's the episode. Bike news. It's time for bike news. Um, This week, I have a new friend of mine that I'm very excited. I feel like I've met a lot of really amazing people within the cycling community within the last two years, which is crazy because we've been in the middle of the pandemic. But I have Bridget Tan with me today, who is a member of Women on Wheels. She runs the social media account for the most part, taking over, uh, helping out with all the, the leadership over there. And we have been Zwift riding buddies. Um, and someday we will be a real life riding buddies. And I very much look forward to that. Thanks for being here. I Bridget. almost met her though. I was outside the house. <laughs> but so she, close. Was, she wasn't there. I know. I'm yeah. sorry. I had yeah. to be out that afternoon. I was just pulling a leg. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got invited over for drinks and I was busy that night and I was so disappointed because I really wanted to go. <laughs> oh. But anyway, uh, Bridget, thank you for being here. I... Um, <laughs> Lost my train of thought for a second there. I want to jump in first with some bike joy. Bike joy, uh, for anyone who is new to this or who never listened to the radio show that I was on before, Bike Talk, um, bike joy is basically anything in your life that brings you joy that is either directly or tangentially related to biking. It doesn't have to be, I was on my bike and I was joyful, but it can be. Uh, So is there anything recently, past year, past two years, whatever your time frame wants to be, what is your bike joy? Brings a smile to your face. This might sound like pretty superficial, but one of the things that I think bring me joy that relates to biking is the aesthetics. Um, Same. The Lycra, the, the kits, uh, the shoes, the beautiful bikes, and mm-hmm. that image that you want to portray as cyclist, whatever that might mean for you, right? Um, yeah, I'm into fashion too. Um, and I feel like for me, it's a way to explore my fashion in a cycling sense. So people who know me, um, when they see me in bike clothes and in my normal clothes, um, yeah, you, you can kind of see that's a Bridget kind of thing. Yeah. So, Wait, yeah. what's your favorite, that totally getting off the rails already. What's your favorite yes. like piece of like, what's your staple bike thing? And I'll, I'll help you with this. I would say for me, it's the socks, like this, like whether I'm in cycling shorts and going out for a long ride, or I'm doing like a community ride and I'm wearing denim shorts, I still got those high socks on because you gotta, you know. That is a very good question. I think mine would be it would be between the jersey and the babe though. Uh it would be the jersey, I would say, if I have to choose something. Yeah. Because I feel like jerseys are like this piece where if people look at you like, okay, yeah, that person is uh yeah, into that stuff. Um yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, my bike joy is, uh, kind of random this week, but I actually, um, broke my first spoke on my rear wheel. Yeah. On my good, my nice touring bike, which I'm looking over my shoulder. It's in the basement at the moment and it's wheelless. Uh, but it's a, it's kind of a weird bike joy in the sense of like, I'm sad because I'm going to be away from my bike for about two weeks while they rebuild the wheel for me. But at the same time, I ran into a friend of mine on the street and I made a comment about like, you know, 
oh my God, I, I, I finally did it. I finally pushed my bike to the limit and I broke something on it. And their comment was like, well, that just proves that you love your bike. Cause you've used it so much. You pushed it to the edge. And I was like, oh, I love that. So in a weird way, it's like That's my bike true. joy that like, like I can't, you know, I, I haul music trailers. I have my camping trailer. I take off of the back of it. I've just used that bike so much that I, I broke a spoke because it was well-loved, yeah. you know, it was not neglect or anything. So in a weird way, it was kind of my bike joy of like, haha, I feel like I'm in this like club of people who have just push their bikes to the brink. Um, and so that was it. I like that. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's at the shop right now getting the wheels. But getting why does it take rebuilt. so long to get it fixed though? Is it like a um, special limited edition? No, of? it's just that I'm actually having the wheel rebuilt with new spokes. So it just takes, mm. it's just a longer process and they can't actually start building it until next Monday because of having too many other projects. So that's just where it is on the, the calendar. Technically I could throw some other wheel on the back and it would be yeah. fine, but. But you have some other bike, right? Do you have a couple I, bikes? I have several other bikes. So okay, there you go. I'm not, I'm not lacking in, in bikes, but bikes that one's my favorite. That's my baby. Cause I actually built the wheels the first time. Oh, that was also validating. Just other side note with bike joy was that I told the guy at the shop that I had built the wheels myself. And while that was a fun process, I don't really need to go through it again. And he was like, oh yeah, these were pretty well done. Nice. And I just, that was also a nice validation. Oh, wow. See, I, I'm inspired by that because I'm someone who is really bad at like hands-on like mechanical stuff. So bike mechanics is still something that I'm trying to learn. But for mm -hmm. some, yeah, yeah. So, but um, yeah, it's just like a learning process. I'm not, I'm not like a fast learner in that sense. So it might take me longer to learn like simple things to fix bikes mm -hmm. uh it took but, me a while to build those yeah. wheels oh, and then I, I even called my mechanic friend in kind of a panic I was like it's not doing what it's supposed to and he was like remember the tensioning's gonna cause it to go the other direction and I was like oh oh my god thank you so much <laughs> oh wow. uh, but my my oldest sister who got me into riding is a mechanical engineer oh, and so when okay. I first started riding she was like you absolutely have to know how to fix your own tire. And then from there, it just started to build out of like, um, the interest in it. And then I took mechanics courses and then the mechanics courses, even like, unless you're going to get really deep into mm. being a mechanic, they only take yeah. you so far. You don't take your bottom bracket out when you're just working on mechanics in a, yeah, you know, it's in not a class. Yeah. The so, only reason I know that part is because I had to change my pedals and yeah. the ones that I wanted, it didn't fit the other bike. So yeah, I totally hear that. Yeah. So the, the, the bike that I'm referring to, I actually bought an empty frame and I built out all the parts on it so that I could see every piece of the bike and how it all fits together. So that is my, one of my bucket lists is I oh, want to build my own bike at some highly point. Recommend. At some point, I want to get the frame and do all that. Yeah, customize mm -hmm. everything. Yep. Nice. Um, it's the best. I'm still thinking about what I want to do for my next one, but I will say I spent a lot of money to put this oh, bike gosh. together because I got some really nice parts for it. Um, so I have to think a little more economically of my next one. <laughs> I hear that. I don't even have space. I live in a one-bedroom, so that's uh, the other thing. Yeah, I need tough. like a garage with like all that tools mm -hmm. and everything. I don't have that right now. Um, great. Well, that was 
bike joy and bike tangents, which I love. Yep. And then uh, the other great thing about this segment is I like to do a quick uh, check-in on infrastructure. Some infrastructure updates for everyone listening. I talked last time about the Porter Square Mass Ave bike lanes, uh, protected bike lanes, and how there was um, a campaign basically to push back installing them, doing the quick build install on them. And that campaign was uh, successful and they are actually going to, at least for now, the the vote was to temporarily hold back on creating those bike lanes, which is very disappointing, especially since Porter Square is where one of our ghost bikes is. Um, and so keep an eye out on Cambridge bikes. Um, there's a newsletter that you can follow. Uh, and some forums, you know, there's Facebook groups, uh, and they'll keep you kind of informed on what's happening with that. But I know people haven't given up yet and the, the protected lanes aren't gone. They're just delayed, but still very disappointing when you hear about things like that. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to update everybody on is the upcoming e-bikes rally. Uh, there was, um, a bill that went to the state house this past year that my very first episode, I had Galen Mook on to talk about all the ways in which e-bikes one will be really helpful, but two are really hard to legislate. And so there's going to be an actual e-bikes, excuse me, a rally for e-bike access in Massachusetts next Thursday, March 24th, uh, at noon at the state house. And you can either go to the rally or you can also contact the committee chairs by March 25th or as soon as possible as this nice email lets me know, um, urging people to move these bills out of committee. We want them to get passed because e-bikes is going to make biking more accessible on a whole. So I want to make sure everybody knew that that was happening there. There is, uh, and I'll have, uh, more information in the show notes on who you should contact, but we want to make sure that that bill gets through committee because e-bikes are great. That's a, that's my infrastructure update for this week. So finally, let's move into the fun part, which is, uh, some article that struck my fancy in the last couple of months. Um, this one I actually have had sitting open in a tab for weeks and weeks, trying to find just the right person to talk to me about it. And I think I found her, um, this is an article about the best music to listen to while you're riding your bike indoors. Uh, and the reason that I wanted to talk to Bridget about that is because I know it's come up many, many times in our video chats uh, for our Zwift group rides that most of us would fail miserably if we didn't have the accountability of the people around us and these video chats where we're talking to people. But sometimes it's nice to just put your head down to just really high beats per minute and just crank. So what do you think, Bridget? What's what's your favorite music to listen to when you're riding? So I like this conversation already because I cannot work out with no music usually unless you guys are on the video chat and then your voices become music. It's, you know, um, but yeah, at the gym or while cycling, my preferred music of choice is very specific. I listen to like uh, EDM, um, mm-hmm. specifically Deep House. Reason being that it kind of transports me to a different kind of realm 
the it's super heavy based um um and it's not like it doesn't make you feel like frantic or anxious when you listen to it it just makes you feel <laughs> strong and powerful and it gives you that oomph um yeah it just makes you feel like cool and sexy and attractive do you oh, ever dance on your bike? I actually do sometimes. When <laughs> when I feel strong enough to take my hands off and not feel I'm dying, mm-hmm. I do actually. Um, I imagine I'm in, this takes me back to 2010 when I was in Berlin in this gay club and it's dirty and nasty, but the music was dope, so dope. Um, <laughs> that That's exactly what it, it, it brings me back to. Um, and yeah, just a great time in my life. It was fun. It was um, responsibility free in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I went clubbing in Europe all the time. I understand. Oh, wow. Most of the time, I don't remember how I got, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, that that was like a, a blast, like my early 20s. Um, yeah. So, and it makes you just, yeah, it just takes you out of your reality. And I know for most of us, cycling is an escape. And why I would say people should try out EDM, although it might not be a super huge thing in North America. Yeah, it's, it's getting there. Uh, but yeah, EDM does have that capability to kind of take you out of yourself and kind of, yeah, like teleports you to a different world. Yeah, so there is actually, um, you know, I, I don't think I said the, the article name, but there was an article on bicycling.com, the best workout songs for extra motivation. Mm-hmm. Really the long and short of it, they have a, a Spotify playlist that reminded me how old I am and how I never listened to the radio because I don't know I know a bunch of the artists (laughs) I know a bunch of the artists I do not think at a glance that I know any of the songs on that list um because I don't pay very close attention to that kind of stuff sorry but can pick out a few songs that I would highly recommend to people okay the first song on there is Friday uh Friday Mm -hmm. is like a super popular club hit right now um, so that just makes me think of that girl. That's a different Friday song. Oh, that's a different Friday. That's, that's Rebecca Black. That is yeah, our that era. was her name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think she's still singing though. That's the strange part. Hmm. I think she made it out of that one hit wonder. That's Bad good. One hit wonder. But yeah, um, thought shit is very popular, especially um, on Instagram and social media. A lot of these songs are Instagram famous as well. Mm-hmm. Faruko, I love you know reggaeton, but it's not my uh, music of choice while cycling. I do use it sometimes, but reggaeton is just my car music, you know? Mm. I'd listen to that. Let me see. Doja. Doja is really good. Doja Cat. You know Doja Cat? I yeah. know the name because yeah. I'll watch James Corden's... Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. That's a his, good well, he, he his monologues on YouTube always have like more interaction with him and his band and Reggie Watts, the band leader mm. is friends with Doja Cat. <laughs> so they talk gotcha. about it sometimes really long, like circuitous way to get there. But yes, I've, I've heard of her. Check her album out. You might like it. It's uh, not your usual, what you expect uh, from a singer that looks like her, which I hate because you stereotype singers. We all do that. Uh, like how someone looks and what kind of music they produce, but check mm-hmm. her out. Um, it's, it might surprise you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Drake on there. Drake is just sorry, but a little overrated. So <laughs> the new album is kind of like it's all the same. Um, uh, let me see. Jay Balvin is always good. Uh, if you want to get into the cycling um, kind of thing, and Raul Alejandro is actually amazing too. I saw him in concert last December, and he's always a good time. Um, if you want to get yourself hyped up, 
um, anything to raise your heartbeat in the way that you want to. Yeah, I yeah. would suggest definitely. Yeah, so the the article actually goes on to talk about you know, studies that they've done, uh, across multiple athletic activities, mm-hmm. uh, and how listening to music enhanced their performance, reduced exertion and improved efficiency. And that you should really be trying to listen to music, um, between like 125 and 140 beats per minute so that you can really get in the groove, which I just mm-hmm. think is, is really great that not only is it like, here's some great music to listen to, but they're also yeah. like, here's a journal of sport and exercise psychology that proves why this is great. Uh, which is something I I've always known. Proven, so I, yeah. I say, I don't know any of these music or these musics, <laughs> these musical artists, but when I did last year, I did the 25 laps around the volcano challenge. Cause it's one of the badges that Andre? you can get. Oh, it's oh like gosh. 62, 64 miles, something like that. I listen, uh, uh, what's like Oh, three, four, wow. three and a half. I think it took me three and a half or four hours. Um, I say five, six, cause I would need a break. Cause I'll get, like, if bored. I was outside. Yes. Because I was yeah. on my bike and mm-hmm. I was trying to power through so that I wouldn't have to come back to it later. Cause I knew the yeah. moment I got off my bike, I was going to walk my dog, make a meal, do all these things. It would have been yeah. like hours before I could get back to my bike. Yeah. Um, but I listened to Tiesto's kaleidoscope album oh, okay. from yeah. like that's a classic thousand yeah. and five or something it's like but it's the same idea it's just a bunch of like upbeat edm like no. just really getting me in the zone i also read an article recently that was like why music while you're driving can really help you as long as it's the right music and i think about mm. that a lot of, and I do the same thing when I bike. I'm not a, I'm not a huge proponent of headphones just mm. because, uh, I would never, and like within reason, I know people who will do like one ear in so that they have the music, but they also have the yeah. outside world. I just get really nervous when I see people with like beats yeah. headphones on. I'm like, oh, no, you're no, blocking yeah. out the outside world. But anyway, uh, that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day. But I yeah. listen, I have a little um, I have a little speaker that goes out in front of me and plays music out loud that yes, I do normally turn down as I get to intersections, especially depending what I'm listening to. I can yeah. be very self-conscious, but I find that uh, like just the music sets the mood kind of thing. It yeah. And it really helps me focus. It's the same thing when I'm working in an office, like I need music that I can kind of zone out in the background, but will push like my ability to focus forward, if that makes sense. And so it was this article about like the music that you should listen to when you're driving, that will help you kind of get in the zone and focus and be more aware of your surroundings, which I thought was really interesting. And I think the same thing can apply to the bicycle where it kind of gives you, for me, it's almost like that white noise in the background that helps me drown everything out. I think another interesting thing is I find that with music, right? For me to be able to focus, it has to be in a language that I don't understand or mm-hmm. music without any um, words to it because if not, then I'll be analyzing the content, right? If, yeah. If I, so yeah, I listen to a lot of music that is it's stuff that I don't understand at all. So that helps <laughs> me kind of, I can check out a little bit because yeah, I just don't get what they're saying. I just like how it sounds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's helpful for me. Um, speaking of cycling outside with um, 
headphones. Music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did hear that there are these new technology headphones where you can listen to whatever you're listening to, um, this podcast, if you want to, um, <laughs> without um, um, and not having the outside sound blocked out, but not sure how much those things cost, but they do exist for people who want them. Um, there's also like, uh, they call it like bone induction where it's right in front of your ears. So it's like playing into you without blocking your ears as well. So I think that's a, probably a similar concept Maybe that, to what yeah. you're talking about. But yeah, I do the same thing when I'm, when I need to like read or write something, I have to listen to either something I don't understand or something that like, uh, uh, I, you know, one of my most played Spotify playlists is like called just deep focus. And it's just a bunch uh, of like, yep, yep, yep. it's just lyricless music. Um, uh, but sometimes like I lounge just, music, right? Eh, it's yes, but like not quite as fluffy, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't know mellow, mellower. mellow. Yeah. yeah. I think mellow yeah. is the right thing where it yep. just kind of like puts you in the zone. And then, yeah, sometimes I just like, if I'm trying to get stuff done, sometimes I just need to put on music I've heard a million times mm. and then I can help, like I can f- focus out. If it's a new album that I've never listened to, I do the same thing you do. I'm like, Oh, what's the lyrics? I want yeah, yeah, yeah. to learn it. Yeah. As a, yeah, what's I, the artist feeling of, like what are yeah. kind of, yeah. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, I actually have been thinking for a while about writing an article about music and biking. Cause I think there's a lot of links there as well. Um, yeah. But that is, well, let's, let's round this out. So we talked about the Spotify playlist before we round out this, this segment, what would you, what's, what's your number one song? What do you, what's your go-to song right now? Or what song do you recommend people go to? Oh, let me check. Uh, I listen to a lot of Afro beats as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so my go-to song right now, I would suggest can't even see it's called I can't even say the name of the song which is terrible the singer is Ricardo Banks um it's a remix with Fireboy Fireboy DML the title is Ozumba Mbwadui I can't say it properly I'll butcher that whole thing but that track is so fire um it's good for when you're warming up it Mm -hmm. really gets you there so that's my recommendation just um yeah so it's Ricardo Banks it's a nice amazing yeah um I'm trying to think (sighs) the like straight like really upbeat like edm things i don't have oh, a great recommendation there but edm um my oh. recent favorite is joel Corey. i'm not sure if you know him he's a british um dj uh he's fairly new in the scene but his stuff uh kind of resembles what we always known so it's not something like a new sound so new artists doing good stuff with uh what's there already yeah. I'm I'm terrible cuz I'll listen to either a podcast or sometimes I watch like TV shows to really zone out so I'm not paying too close attention to what yeah. I'm actually doing. Uh but I can't do that for the the workout workouts where you have to like read what's on the screen and and Oh yeah. Like you got to pay too close attention to like what what's your power and and miles yeah. uh, and cadence. But I will say just in terms of one of my favorite songs to ride along with um moving away from indoor cycling i like playing this one outside a lot like if i'm riding around the the river by myself yeah. um 
is this is so cliche that I I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but Frank Ocean's song Viking just it just gets me every time. It gets time. you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every I time it sounds like, but I know the song. Yeah. Ugh, and it comes in kind of slow and then it kind of just starts like you start bobbing your head to yeah. it. I love it. Um very cliche. I realize that. <laughs> someone no, no, with a biking podcast song. but it's a good song i love that song uh well excellent bridget thank you so much for being here with me um we only had one pre-record dog interruption so that was good and uh i'm sure we'll get to ride outside very very soon and we will our new kits which i'm very excited about oh yes yes they, it's uh it's gonna be uh updates i got from the manufacturer is they're gonna start printing it so it, yes. So we'll wait. Um, it takes some time uh, because you we're know, definitely going to do a photo shoot. Company. Oh, yes. Oh, not only photo shoot, reels, okay? Of course. Which Sorry, has, reels. Okay. All reels. <laughs> reels. Photo shoot and reels because it's good. <laughs> we'll figure something out. It, it looks so good. Like when we write together in those kids, people will be like, who are you guys? We want to be part of this. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, Bridget, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back, Saskia, for this edition of Friends on Bikes Eating Dessert. Again, we will ride bikes and eat dessert together this summer. It's been really tough uh, at this moment, this cold, you know, I can't be in on bikes and with people, which is very disappointing. But I do appreciate you coming back and talking about a really important and very near and dear to me topic at the moment, which is mental health. Uh, the focus for today's conversation is really gonna be about thinking about mental health, especially in the arena of community organizing. So Saskia, welcome back. Thank you. Um, happy to talk about our health, our mental health. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like enough people um, pay attention to oneself. There's yeah. so much attention to like frivolous things and society and work, <laughs> like a lot of attention to work, you know, but yeah. how do you, how do you care for self and how is your mental health, especially with all the things that we're dealing with, you know, pandemic and um, change, death um you know our capitalism and it impact on our jobs and our life it's a lot to be processing right yeah. now. yeah and I think with bikes too there's a strong focus on um you know physical health losing weight body type all of that with the bike but people forget like how important your mental health can be in a lot of ways our bikes can be a mental health benefit we talked last time about uh, my dog is my mental health benefit um but you know there's more that we can be doing and something that we should really focus on ourselves so i'm going to let you lead this conversation uh, sure. talk to me about mental health <laughs> So I think that, you know, a good place to start is just like, I do have anxiety disorder. Um, I do have that's, you know, stemming from PTSD, um, from racial trauma um, that I've been coping with my whole life. Um, so for me, when I got on my bike, I was actually dealing with like medical racism. Um, and I had a doctor that refused to acknowledge that I was iron and vitamin D deficient. Um, so I went from like running miles every day, perfectly fine to not being able to run a full mile to not being able to like stand and do dishes without needing a nap. Like I was totally exhausted. Um, so I had to get a black, you know, doctor to be able to properly diagnose me um, and then be on a, 
a boost, you know, for vitamin D and iron um, to help my body uh, regulate again. And then after that, I realized how much, you know, depression, anxiety I had been dealing with because it had been years my doctor was, um, you know, engaging in medical racism and refusing to acknowledge like basic signs of um, deficiencies in me. And so when I started, I was like, you know what, I can't trust doctors um, because doctors are harming me as a black person. Um, and so I had to get a new doctor. Um, that was first of all, I have to work and I had to. And so I encourage people, especially for your mental health, um, to acknowledge that mental health is part of your physical health. Like mental health is brain health brain is physical. So I think like in Western medicine, we segregate all these things, but um, it's very important to process your body from a holistic perspective, from a decolonized perspective, from a black indigenous perspective. And so like looking at your body from an overall perspective is really, really necessary. So you should be feeling confident when you see your doctor that you own your body um, and the doctor's there to aid and assist. Um, so one of the first things I did when I scouted for a new doctor was I interviewed them. Um, I was very clear and explicit in my needs and very clear that this is an interview and this is your job. And so you may not qualify for this job with me. Um, I may need to take my business elsewhere. Um, and so that actually worked out very, very clear. Um, the doctors understood that language um, and they understood that, you know, part of part of the care of this business is bedside manners and, you know, your criteria. So I think it's important to have, like I had a whole criteria written out. I had questions written out. So I went in there feeling prepared um, and got a good match. And part of the post process was just like ownership of self. Um, how am I, I, I know that a doctor, you know, aided in hurting my body. How am I taking the responsibility of helping to heal my body? And um, part of that was bicycling. Um, so I was at the time I was like smoking like crazy weed. Um, I still smoke, of course, but not nowhere near as much, um, which really helped me to deal with anxiety attacks. And then bicycling really helped my muscles, like really just and, and my mental health, because I wasn't able to move or do a lot. Um, so I felt very stagnant, which actually was increasing my anxiety and my anxiety disorders. So by shifting from running to bicycling, I was able to cover distance. I was able to be in nature. Um, I was able to go at my own pace, pause when I needed to, um, re-engage in a natural manner. Um, and all of these things really helped me process my mental health. Also while riding, which I don't think people like really talk about enough is those single rides, like where you're by yourself, even with a group, it can happen, but by yourself. And I'm sure this happens with you, Laura, like you're able to process so many things like that bike ride can be a whole therapy session in and of itself. It can be, a, mm -hmm. a, I firmly believe single rides are met meditation rides that you're moving in meditation. And I think a lot of people that are dealing with um, hyperactivity um, should be leaning into single singular rides because the movement helps you while your brain is able to process. And if you're having difficulty practicing meditation, um, single rides can be a great way to help prep you for being, for sitting because you're in motion, but your mind is, is just, you know, paying attention to your environment, but also decompressing all of the things that mm -hmm. you're processing. 
And that was just like a huge, huge, like outlet and still is for me is bicycling. It's a huge outlet and support system for my, for my mental health. So I think that's like an important encouragement and a different perspective for people to see. And I think it's important to bike with your, with your family. You know, it's mm-hmm. one of those rare um, activities because, again, we live in such a segregated environment, you know, working out, you have, you know, your women's gym, your men's gym, you know, and then the children got to go to daycare. Okay, but how are the children learning that exercise is a normal part of life? And why are they being segregated from this conversation? And so I think if gyms are not family friendly, we should be seeking activities that are instead of continuously working ourselves towards um, singular you know, events, unless you wanna be in a space with no kids. I think that's perfectly fine too. You don't have kids, don't wanna be around them. That's fine as well too. But I think it's it's necessary for people that do wanna be more community centric and you know, be in an environment where younger ones are learning um, and seeing it in practice. I think that bicycling offers that avenue and there's no cost. Like you can always just link up with friends, hop on bikes and get to riding. <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, I remember the like very early days of the pandemic, I would have so much anxiety of like just being around people, but everybody wanted to get outside. And so I would sneak out um, past curfew because remember in the very beginning, we actually had a curfew. We weren't supposed to be outside after a certain time. And I would go ride my bike at like nine o'clock at night, just like up like quick eight, 10 miles, just just because I needed to like, do something. I went from riding my bike every single day to sitting at home alone every single day. And I didn't have a dog yet. So I, uh, I definitely feel that like some days you just need it. And it's so tough too. I talk a lot about when we're talking about riding this idea of like, and it's the same thing people go through with like, oh, I know I'd feel better if I go to the gym, but it's so hard to motivate myself. I do that sometimes with riding or I'm like, oh, I know it will make me feel better, but I haven't ridden in a few days. And now I'm like out of the habit and it's, you know, you just gotta, you gotta do it. Find your route that you really like or whatever it is, but you're just going to feel so much better afterwards. So I totally connect with that. And I love the idea of the intentionality with kids because, um, my main interview today is actually with a woman who has been riding with her kids. And we talked about, you know, what happens when your kids get old enough to have their own personalities and their own likes and dislikes, like, how do you get them to keep riding with you? And she talked a lot about immersion. Like if you just immerse them in this lifestyle, then it becomes part of their lifestyle as well. So I think that's, that's really smart. I like that. Yeah. Um, Spreading the healthy vibes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's super, super important. Um, and then bicycling like leads to self-care, mm-hmm. you know, because if you're bicycling every day, you have muscles to keep strengthened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a bike mechanic, I was just like running. I was like, you know, fixing bikes every day, hopping on bikes, you know, going for bike rides. And I wasn't doing strength training at that time. And so what ended up happening, I ended up having a muscle imbalance in my hip. Oh, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Right. My hip started to give out on me while walking at work. Like I'm flipping bikes and my, I would take a step and my whole leg would just give out on me. Um, so I had to go see a doctor and the doctor was like, your muscle is wound up very, very tight. And, um, you have another muscle overcompensating 
for a muscle that's like deep, deep in your, in your hip, you know, mm. but you have to do muscle correction. So I had to go to physical therapy, but I was very lucky because I worked at Broadway Bicycle and we're a co-op and we really care about the health of each other and our staff. So we had like a physical therapist come in and we decided as a co-op, like we want somebody to come in to teach us self-care and we actually get paid like 15 minutes before we go on the floor. So for that, like actually half an hour. So we can actually, before we even open up, we can spend time, um, you know, doing stretches and, mm-hmm. and warm up exercises and we're being compensated by the co-op for that time. Um, so that's yeah. like huge, you know, like self-care is a part of that, that co-ops business model um, of staff. So that was a huge, huge like process for me. Like, oh no, I can't, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not 19 anymore. <laughs> I'm a teenager. I have to come in. I got to warm up the muscles. I got to yeah. exercise. It was a whole thing for me. I was just like, what is this? What is going yeah. on? Um, but since then, you know, it's been really, really enlightening. And I've been also, I've started to do yoga um, with a friend's class, my friend is Pompey, and they're running uh, a yoga class. There's one 8 a.m. and one at 9 p.m. And it's centered around community organizers, queer, trans, um, BIPOC community organizers. I mean, other people are welcome to come in and hop in, but that's who's centered within this space. Um, and it's, it's, it's virtual, so anybody can hop in. But what's it's working for me. And it's like the first yoga class that's working for me because it's not so structured on perfection and movement, but actually uh, reconnecting your mind with your body. And Mm -hmm. Pompey is coming from a decolonized perspective. So this is like yoga is natural for them. Um, It's a part of their heritage. Um, So they're not teaching it. They're they're not a yoga instructor that got like 500 hours of certification. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? This is a more more natural, organic. It comes straight from family lineage, from their culture. Um, So you're able to get it from a, with culture, you're able to get a class, a yoga class with culture. And it's a totally different experience than I've ever had in anybody else's yoga class. So um, yeah, shout out to Pompey. Um, if you're on Instagram, it's third eye fell F E L L. Um, but yeah, third eye and then fell. Um, if you type that in, you'll find Pompey's Instagram page and they have a yoga class, um, pay what you can, um, drop in 8am. It's one, a, one hour of yoga and 20 minutes of meditation. And by the time you do that hour, I mean, it's, it's beautiful in the morning. You know, if you're not familiar with like self-care habits. One of the things Pompey does is petting yourself, um, waking up your muscles, um, being Mm. very gentle first thing in the morning and talking to yourself in loving tones, reminding yourself to to talk to yourself in loving tones. All of these things are like very important and we say we do them and then we have affirmations that we say, but to do it in conjunction with movement, uh, waking up your muscles, it's just so organic, so gentle. Um, and yeah, I noticed a huge improvement even after just one week of yoga with Pompey. I've noticed mm-hmm. like a huge improvement in my mental health. So shout out to Pompey right there, just real quick. And I have to plug people and let you know like what's working out here for <laughs> mental health. That I love hearing about that. And I say this with no shade, no shame to yoga. I actually really enjoy yoga as a a practice. 
I get so uncomfortable just personally at the very end when they do like their little spirituality prayer and your third eye and hold your hands up. And I'm just, I'm not, I don't know. It just always felt really inauthentic to me. So I would just kind of like be like, thanks for the yoga and I'll see you later. There's no awkward. Yeah. You know, um, actually when the meditation ends, um, when they have it prepped, they, they hit the, the bowl. Um, mm-hmm. so it's a sound to bring you back into your mm-hmm. body and, um, yeah, we cover our eyes and everything. Um, and they, they do that. It's just, I always, I always kind of felt weird as like, okay, this white person taking me through this, like everybody saying namaste together. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> what, are we doing like, what are we doing? I like, I yeah, like that's- the practice. I just always felt like the spirituality part the end. And I, again, I'm really not trying to shame people who are like, if you have done the whole yoga, like 500 hours and everything, like I have friends who've done it. That's fantastic. Right. It just never really worked for me. And so that yeah. I, that was always made me feel uncomfortable at the end. Yes. The, the only other class that worked for me for yoga besides Pompey's class is Afroflow yoga. Mm-hmm. which I absolutely love because it's a lot of dancing incorporated mm-hmm. um, and um, reminds me of um, uh, what's the Brazilian dance. Um, I'm blanking right now, the Brazilian dance, but a lot of the movements and this Brazilian dance, like people see them like shaking their hips and they think that, oh, that's just sexy. But a lot of those dances actually have spirituality um, tied into them. So like they're moving their arms and their body and they're like, oh, you don't know, but they're really um, saying in that movement, to beat down the devil like we're mm-hmm. gonna beat down the devil in this movement and you think that they're just doing a back bend and you know <laughs> and it's just sexy and all these things but it's a very spiritual dance um so yeah with yoga with Pompey feels very very spiritual and okay um, you don't have to do that there's no you know namaste at the it's not forced culture forced spirituality it's very very <laughs> yeah I should also preface that so I grew up Jewish and it's really just the whole like a unison thing that people do. Like even in my own religion and my own synagogue, when it was like, everybody chant this thing together. I was always like, okay, what are we doing? Like this, is what are we doing here? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> um, but you touched on something else with the yoga class, which was the idea that it was really about the community and for community organizers and everything like that. And so we were talking a little bit before this about this really strong need for community organizers to have these mental health outlets because it's, it's a lot. You're taking on a lot to organize all this stuff. And we talked about community quite a lot in our last conversation as well, but I I wanted to give you a chance to to kind of dive into that, to, to round out our mental health discussion. Yeah. I've, I learned the hard way with community organizing um, and experienced a nervous breakdown um, because I was ex- overextending myself. Um, and so I had to pull back and I received backlash from people. You know, when you tell people, no, I'm not available, um, they got upset. The last time I told somebody I'm not available was in February and it was a, with a white community organizer and he proceeded to berate me and tell me that he does not believe in reparations for slavery <laughs> and all of these other things because I was not available for 
his um his advocacy for you know I'm like I'm booked all the way for the next couple of months I'm I apologize but I just don't have the space to take this on and got berated in return so I think it's really um healthy you know as we're as community organizers people don't realize like behind the scenes the things that we're dealing with um, while organizing never mind the literal logistics of organizing right but you can deal with um you can deal with interpersonal harm with other community organizers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, really challenging um, to be trying to organize. And there's only so many of us actually doing the work. Um, so when one community organizer commits interpersonal harm, it has a huge ripple effect. I mean, Boston is only so big, Massachusetts is only so big, right? So as community organizers, it's like, we really have to have systems of accountability um, so that, you know, we're in communication and we're dealing with the interpersonal harm, um, but also creating that space like for our mental health, like it's okay to say no, it's okay to push back and for there to be normalcy instead of an expectation from other community organizers. I'm at the point now when I reach out to people and um, for support, um, I, if they tell me they're not available, my first thing I do is I say, thank you for honoring your space. Thank you for not overcommitting, And thank you for staying dedicated to what you're trying to achieve. I think the first thing people need to hear is like, you're doing great. Like, because so frequently when somebody tells you no, you personalize it and you're mm-hmm. immediately disappointed. That's, that's self. Do not project that onto other people. Like, People want to help, you know, at least the people I'm talking to, the people I'm talking to want to help, you know? So I think it's just really, really important to uplift people as much as you can and to know like, okay, I know we can't work on this right here, but I'm still cheering for you and I'm still going to be here for you. And we're going to meet somewhere else and we're going to work some, some other way and collaborate together to strengthen Mm -hmm. our community. But I'm doing this work and you're doing that work and it's for our community. And I absolutely still support you. You know, I think that's really, really important for the mental health of us as organizers, like. We've got to be treated. There's got to be boundaries and respect, I think, um, that needs to be strengthened, you know, and and really for the community to understand how much goes into community organizing. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think there's something strange about Boston I've never seen in other communities. Um, I've lived in Philly. I've lived in Atlanta. I've lived in other places, traveled around. And in Boston, I've just never seen community organizers treated with such low level of humanity, um, where it's very transactional. It's like people treat community organizers as if it's a job. And not every single community organizer is actually getting paid for the work. In fact, a Mm -hmm. lot of community organizers are volunteering Mm -hmm. and are not being compensated. So for the community to actually be treating community organizers like it's a transaction, like there's capitalism in the middle, is just showing me how broken the community is, to be quite honest, Um, Mm -hmm. because I've lived in other places and I've never been treated. I've never seen community organizers be treated the way they're, especially community organizers of color, to be Mm -hmm. treated the way that they're treated here in Boston. So I think the community has a lot of learning to do um, about having a healthy community and what that means relationship you know with community organizers 
Yeah. And I, I just want to take it one step further as we wrap up this conversation too, of like, not only is that so important when other community members need that space, but like take that into your personal life. Friends will text me and just be like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I need, you know, this time for me for something. And it's always like, don't hate me. But, and I do this, I'm totally guilty of this. Like, don't hate me, but I really just need to be alone tonight. And if you have good friends, they go, thank God me too. (laughs) Or like, don't worry about it. Like you do you. Uh, And I think we should, we could stand to bring that into more of our lives uh, just in general, that like everybody has something going on that you can't see. Yes. Yes, definitely. Well, Saskia, thank you so much again for coming back, chatting with me again. I'm sure we'll talk to you again in the future. We all talk to you again in the future. This is my so, podcast. I know I'm the, such a team person. <laughs> summer, what kind of dessert are we going to have? Like, we're gonna ah, have to, what is dessert? Good question. What's your favorite type of dessert? Um, so I'm a, I love blueberry cobbler, but I, oh. I, I make it to my family's from the South. So I, yeah. nobody else can make apple, can make cobbler. I, <laughs> I just do it myself. So I make my own blueberry cobbler and it's my favorite. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to make you make your own thing. Maybe we could cook it together or something. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> All right. What's we'll do favorite. Um, I love anything with chocolate and peanut butter in it. Um, so that combination I'll pretty much eat in every okay. form. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll have to, I'll have to think about it. Um, yeah. chocolate butter. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll think of a dessert for that. Yeah. But we'll definitely, I'll do some sort of video over the summer with, with Saskia. We'll have some fun with it. So thank you for coming on and we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. For today's deeper look, I have uh, my first kind of recommended guest to the show. Most of the people I've talked to so far are just people that I knew in the community. So I'm very excited to make a new friend today in YT. YT, thank you so much for coming. Well, thanks for having on me. Zoom. <laughs> nice to be here in this virtual space with you. Yes, it is. Uh, and let's just kick it right off. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, let the audience know who you are. Sure. My name is YT. I got this name as part of my membership in a local artist group called Skull, which uh, used to be known as Subservative Claw Chopper Urban League. That's what SCUL stands for. Is that for. what it's? I don't think I right. actually knew that. <laughs> Those of you that have seen Skull right by, which is a bunch of art bikes we ride at night. The um, tall bikes our, too. The tall bikes, um, just different shaped bikes. We, we get um, bicycles donated to us and then we chop it up and put it all back together. Um, and most of the bikes are built by uh, members. Nice. Yeah, we, we not have someone else build a bike for us, I don't think. Anyway, um, I got this name uh, when I joined this group, which was 2008, I want to say. So I've been mm-hmm. at it a while. And my claim to fame is that I run the books for Skull. I'm the controller and I make sure that we can pay for things and we nice. get donated to us or if we sold things before, for the stuff we make, um, I keep track of our finances so we can continue to operate. The funny joke is that when we had this meeting with a bunch of people, uh, I wasn't even able to make it to the meeting, but I was the one that went away with a job that lasted for over 10 years. So, <laughs> and um, the other joke is that in a nerd game, <laughs> I got, I built myself a role that was the nerdiest of all the nerds. <laughs> well, define nerdy in this case. How was it nerdy? Um, 
people um, people there, there's a lot of we attract a lot of maker types which um there's a big portion of us are there's um computer scientists uh software engineers there's um mechanical engineers um i do have any like bioscientists i think we had in the past a few members are of that ilk there's also a lot of makers on the side of the artistry like there's a um people that fabric arts people that and uh i think somebody's really into audio stuff too we have a couple of those so people that like to build and make things and mm -hmm. and so it's not it's when we we used to call ourselves a, a, i don't mean we might still do i Real quick is I haven't been able to ride a lot and I'll mm -hmm. talk about that. It's, it's a time thing. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so oh, just lost my train of thought. <laughs> You're talking about the, the different types of people who come to Skull. The, yeah. We're talking so, about it being very nerdy. Right. And we used to call ourselves a gang, which is, I don't know if that, that term is appropriate given uh, now recent years, I've been thinking more about the words I choose as I speak and, mm -hmm. and communicate. Um, and when we used to think about the use of that word and like we're really mean and bad and whatever, and we're not just a bunch of like people that want to make things and play and hang out together is really what we are. Yeah. yeah I'm very excited because the Skull headquarters is moving down the street from me because uh, I live in Alston. So that was that was a big one for me. Um, the the old location was at the Artisan Asylum and which, you know, obviously I'm telling the listener that uh, and we've definitely talked about it before on the podcast, but that's where I took my mechanics courses was over at oh, the Artisan yeah. Asylum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um so that's that's foremost, like because I introduced myself at YT. It's it's not my real name, but it's it's my skull name, and mm -hmm. that is um, who I uh, identify a lot with when I think about myself as in the context of a cyclist. Um, besides that, I am a commuter. Um, most of my rides nowadays is in commuting, um, and have been prior to joining Skull. Um, and so I've been riding in the Boston area for since two thousand three ish, two thousand four. So a few years before I found Skull. Um, before there were I, bike lanes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been really nice to see the changes. Yeah. Over years, which is like <laughs> many years now. <laughs> Looking over years, coming up on two decades. <laughs> Holy cow. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, otherwise, I am a, a, a prosumer grade art circus artist. I like to say um, my my prop is uh, hula hoop, and for a little while I was um, doing a little more gigging and teaching for that. Um, a big part of my, my job job, I have two of those, and I'm a professional organizer and operations manager at a research lab. And mm -hmm. I am also a music teacher. I run my own uh, piano studio, I'm a Suzuki music teacher at night. Oh, wow. And those two pieces are probably like my, think about identity, those are the two big pieces, my professional careers. Wow. That's really oh, cool. Yeah, I guess I, I'm a mom. <laughs> yeah. Which is where we'll get to in today's conversation <laughs> too, but you don't have to, that doesn't have to be your identity. I get that. <laughs> uh, I, I was also, I had, um, I had a piano in the house growing up, but as the youngest child, after my first two, not very musically inclined sisters took a couple of lessons and then dropped off. I never got lessons personally, and I just fiddle around with it, but I never got very far. <laughs> Um, but so tell me a little bit more about like when you started riding, did you ride as a kid growing up or was it something you came to as an adult? 
definitely as an adult. Um, I grew up in I grew up across the globe. I grew up in Taiwan, and um, I lived in Taipei, which is the uh, the capital city. So there's literally no safe space to to really be. <laughs> um, that's not fair. That's overgeneralizing. That's just riding a bike is necessity. It's not really a uh, hang out and ride bikes for fun. I, we mm-hmm. did as kids in the park, but that's if you have a space nearby that's an open green space, which uh, where I grew up in that little city area, there's not that much, not, not that many spaces like quite like that. Also, mm-hmm. it was a luxury to be able to have a bike at all um, or in my upbringing, like when I was a kid. So I learned how to write, but I was not very good at it. And then I didn't do it for many, many years. Uh, and then I immigrated to the States, et cetera, and grew up. And then I met my partner, his name's Aaron. Uh, and that was after college and, and et cetera. And he had been commuting through college in the Boston area. Um, so that was uh, early 2000s. And he was commuting between Waltham and Northeastern. So his rice was long and that's, he, he sort of- That is a tough commute. Just thinking about the infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, mostly the paths on the water. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, sorry. Yeah. Then he had, anyway, he rolled all around Boston area. So Mm -hmm. when we got together and I, we moved back to Boston, we moved all around. When we, before we moved to Boston, we were living in middle of nowhere in New York. And during that time, I picked back up how to ride a bike as an adult. And we were in our twenties, early twenties. And then um, when we moved back to Boston area, he suggested like, give it a shot. And it's scary because traffic. And also I had, had just recently learned how to ride a bike again. And um, as we just established, there were no bike lanes yet. Right. At the time it was really uh, just not great. There are a few infrastructures, but it's, it's much, much fewer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got lucky is sort of like the way that uh, I was going to grad school at the time, the way that school and then subsequent jobs lined up. I, my commute sort of shifted and, and grew over time. And, or I had an option of taking the train or biking to a train stop and then do the second leg if I wasn't comfortable with it. So I sort of did that cobbling together um, commutes that were comfortable to me at the time that I was riding so that I could sort of grow into riding more on the street. Like there was one, one job that I started doing a lot. It was almost entirely on um, the stretch of bike path between Davis Square and Alewife. So I got really lucky that I could experiment with riding to work consistently um, and without having to worry about getting on the road road. The only stretch was right in Davis Square. I had to be on the street with the cars. So that was maybe like a quarter mile that I had to be on the road. And then over time, then I started, I got different work and then the commute got longer and or in different parts. And then I was, I grew used to riding. And then I was able to ride into Boston. And at one point my commute was uh, Porter Square area to the seaport area. That was probably my longest ride. I think that's like eight-ish mile per way. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that. That, was that, is, that is a bit long. <laughs> I, I briefly had a job in Framingham and I, I biked back and forth once or twice, never to and from work. It was always like ride home and then ride back the next day. Cause it was a, easily a two hour commute on my bike is a little over 20 miles. And I always used to say to myself, if it were 15 miles or shorter and I got an e-bike, I'd be okay with this. But like, that was just too much. I ended up leaving that job after not too long. Cause I didn't like driving. Is that even which road that doesn't even sound. Oh, it was, well, you got, I'm not sure that all of it was safe. I just couldn't (laughs) stand being in the car that much. (laughs) 
But yeah, I totally get that. I think my longest commute ever since then has really been like five miles. And when I look for jobs, I, I look for pretty close by jobs Ooh. usually. Yeah. yeah. And really over time, I, I started to limit the amount of, like, I think about my commute as by bicycle only. Like that was, that became the option. It's no longer like, well, it's 20 minutes. No, it's like, no, it needs to be under 45 minutes by bike. Yeah. Per way. Well, that makes sense. And so you kind of carried that into your adulthood. Then this passion for biking, you got very into it. You joined skull. Um, and then, you know, a time came in your life where you had kids or a kid, I should say. Um, so how was that journey? Um, so that's, that's actually, it's funny. I'm talking to you today. It's four years ago today. It's his birthday. His fourth Aww. birthday. Happy birthday. And our mutual friend PQ just made some cupcakes for him last night, which is going to eat that today. Um, Great, <laughs> Great beautiful, chef. Beautiful cakes. Uh, too, too good to eat almost. Um, so how did that come to be? We knew that once we started um, preparing to have a new person in our, in our house, in our home, um, we knew that we wanted to continue our bicycling because uh, that is the way that we built our lives. We, we decided to, including like buying our home uh, in, in this area to stay, um, briefly consider moving farther out because real estate is insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we decided that we didn't want that driving experience. We didn't want to leave our job. So we decided to make it work with a bicycle commute. So it's interesting how we've sort of shaped our choices around that because it was important to us to keep that in our lives. Um, I tried to, I did okay, continue to ride during the pregnancy. I think I went up to somewhere around seven months, maybe like almost eight months. And then I was kind of like, no, I can't move much. (laughs) What was the response from others to seeing that? Um, it was interesting because I had during that time I met a couple of other moms in the area that rode, and one of them is actually a person I was going to recommend that you could talk to. And she has two kids; they have they have two kids, um, and they've been riding around much longer than I have. And she did the same thing riding through pregnancy. Um, so people couldn't really tell because uh, it was the middle of the winter time that I was pregnant, and I would wear like a really big jacket anyway when I rode. So it just mm-hmm. looked like I was like really bundled, bundled up. Um, and that was fine. Uh, I think the, the part that I didn't anticipate was I thought it was going to be that, um, that maybe like I was not going to be comfortable in my torso and it's going to be different for every mom. Um, but what was most uncomfortable was I carried low so that my legs couldn't come up in the the top of the rotation. So it bumped onto the side of my belly. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't get the full rotation over because of that reason. It wasn't the top side or the front side. It was the underside that was getting me to <laughs> And so people really didn't give me much. Um, people didn't even know really when I was ready. You can't tell from the front that I was a pregnant person. I did make a, a, a jersey, like a reflective jersey with a friend of mine mm-hmm. that had like an icon of a belly. And I think it says. Um, it wasn't maybe just. On board. I think it's, yeah, it said maybe on board. Seriously, don't hit me. <laughs> I was going to say, it has to say baby on board, right? That's what, that's what has to be. I'm just curious. Cause even as like a non-pregnant commuter, I've had people be like, Oh, it's so dangerous. And I can only imagine, especially in winter, I was just like, Oh, that's really like, it's not safe. You need to get off the street. Um, yeah, I had only one person that 
even recognize what the, maybe the Jersey, Jersey was poorly made. I wish I had it out to show you. Um, <laughs> but only one person, it was a lady in a van pulled over and was like, I love your thing that you're wearing. She's like, how are you doing? That was really sweet. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. I remember my, my, my oldest sister, when she was pregnant, she came to, um, the, uh, the red bones, like summer kickoff event that they would do every year. I don't know if you went to those in in Davis, she came to that. Um, and she would have been like eight, eight months pregnant, maybe they were only going like a mile or two, but even I, like as someone who just hadn't, like, even as a, an everyday biker, I just hadn't seen a pregnant person do it. And I was like, you biked here. She's like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. Just don't yeah. fall over. Like <laughs> yeah. in a lot of ways, it was easier to bike than walk. Mm-hmm. I could it's imagine. Fast. It's always faster to bike so than faster. walk. <laughs> so much faster. And, and like running's uncomfortable at any time. Mm-hmm. I'm not a runner. So I'm like, why would I run anywhere if I could just get on my bike? I know. And then people are like, walk your bike these places. I'm like, but why? Like, it's just so easy. Um, well, that's amazing. And then from there, it was just, you know, I know there's a, a small time window in which you can't actually take the baby on the bike yeah. or in a trailer. But was it, was, yeah. did you have like the front loader? the trailer like what was your setup we started with a um a front seat it was a yep mini that mm-hmm. was attached to the bike and we learned a lot through that so some things i was recommending people were thinking about how do i carry my kid around one thing i would say is um it's it's talk to an expert right? like <laughs> um like uh I, I don't know how to pronounce her name correctly and i always get it wrong but the owner of chris um, of bicycle bell mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know her name, but I know what you're talking about. Bicycle Bell on so Oxford Street, is it's it? Oxford Street. And Beacon. Uh, Beacon. Yeah, it's right near yeah. Somerville. In Somerville. Um, so the reason for that is bicycle geometry, depending on what bike you have, they're very different. And mm-hmm. some of them are better suited for having another seat attached on top of it. Um, and some of, sometimes it's safety related, whether or not the bicycle can even hold another seat in certain parts of it. So, so it's, it's, it's better to talk to someone that knows about it, um, in my experience. Uh, and so we tried that. We had some bikes that we already rode and we inserted the Yep Mini in the front. Um, this is, was on Aaron's bike because I was still healing shortly after delivery. Um, and so my, my trajectory was, I think six weeks out, I was able to get on my own bike. So that was my, my timing. And Aaron and Zephyr, this our child's name, we didn't put Zephyr on the bike until his, like when he's almost one, I want to say we waited. Because there are some studies around how like infants shouldn't be on a bike because of like- The jostling and neck. and not great for the neck and the head. So we waited for that. Um, However, during that time, I also met many other parents that um, there's like that, that, choose not to worry about that. And they would put their babies and or toddlers in a bike seat. I think my nephews got to maybe the six month mark. Yeah. 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 But in a trailer with the helmet on and everything. Right. Yeah. So we waited a little bit longer. um, And we've discovered that the yet mini it's uncomfortable for the adult rider because it's not meant to have a yet mini in the front there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's many other designs that you can choose from. And so trying them out is always nice. If you know people that are already riding, or if you, you want to know that you're going to um, patronize a particular local bike shop, I would say like, go try out with them. And then whenever you decide to buy, just buy from them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, so, you know, I know from, and, and obviously I'm not comparing the two, but I am because pets and kids are very similar, but my dog goes in a backpack and I kind of had the same thing It's my lifestyle. I needed something that would fit into my lifestyle. Um, but the training to a certain extent, like once he's in the backpack, he's not getting away from me. And that's kind of how, like, I feel like it's a little bit like that with the bikes where like baby's going to come with you, whether they want to or not, because you can put them in there, but then they start to grow up and have personalities of their own. Um, and where I'm going with that is that my, uh, my nephews now are nine and six and they like bikes, but sometimes it's really hard to get them to go out for a ride or they'll only do like a short ride or they'll complain because there's a hill or the six-year-old doesn't want to move to a pedal bike, even though he's old enough to do it. So I want to hear a little bit more about, um, this journey of really bringing a child into this lifestyle and having them feel like to, I mean, in all fairness, my sister and her husband, they love riding bikes. They'll try to do, you know, short commutes and whatnot. They'll, they'll bike places, but they don't ride in and out every day as their main form of transportation. Did that make a a big difference? Like what, what really helped that whole process? Um, I should start with saying that, uh, our child is on a, um, he's, he's on a, balance bike. I was like, what word? He's on a balance bike right now. Mm -hmm. Um, he's big enough to go on the pedals and he won't do it. So, um, and I mentioned a little bit that I teach little kids music and the particular approach that I use is the Suzuki method. And we talk a lot about immersion and what it means to have peer influences. Um, immersion is just like your, what we talk about is if you're surrounding the child with music, in this case, I was a bicycle culture, um, then they're more likely to, to, feel that this is part of their that's part of their lives and literally like everywhere they're little people are doing it which is mm-hmm. also why cities kids that grow up in the cities like they love construction vehicles because it's like everywhere <laughs> in the world because and they're everywhere look there are cars and cars are like big and loud buses are big and loud so kids love those things like airplanes fly in the sky it's incredible so similar to that it's like it's just part of what's like a really amazing thing so i think like you were saying, you know, kind of including them as part of um, just be the person, like modeling, doing, going places, like choosing the bicycle over a car whenever you get out. Of course, like we don't, we're not always really good with that ourselves either. Sometimes it's just, sometimes it's just too rainy. I just don't want to put my gear on because it takes that. 15 minutes to get it all on. And then 15 minutes on the other end of the ride to take it all off. And then I'm a little sticky for the next 20 minutes after that. So, and you're dealing with another human that you're trying to take care of. So I get that. So it's, it's, it's not always, we don't always choose the bike. I would like to do, to say that we do more than, than we already do. Um, so yeah, I would say in the more that we see other, other friends, like if he has friends from school, that's riding a pedal bike already, then he'll be more likely to ask about it. Um, I am very big, uh, into not pushing pushing him to choose the pedal like I would ask once in a while and so far the answer has been no I don't want to I mean I don't want it to turn into like it's my goal to get you on the pedal bike because that's not gonna that doesn't really matter to me I'm not in a race <laughs> with anybody or with him to get on a pedal bike um and some of that because I don't really know how much of that is just that he's not ready for change how much of it is that he may be we tried it a couple of times and he felt unstable. So he doesn't want to, that loose of control for himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it could be that um, he really is a little too small for this next fight. He's not, because we, we know <laughs> not. I would say that, but he needs to decide, right? Right. So those are the things I would say. Um, <laughs> surrounding the, with, with um, surrounding the child with the culture and environment of lots of people riding definitely is a big thing. Yeah. Do you take him, like, what kind of rides do you take him on now? Well, in the last few months, we haven't done so many rides. It's been a little um, cold and gross here. It's been cold and gross. And we do, it's really just drop him off at preschool and then we come home. Um, in the last, I would say maybe two weeks, we dug out his balance bike and we've done a few more, like, we had a couple of 50, 50 degree days. So mm-hmm. we went out just riding around and we would, um, Aaron would be on a skateboard and I either walk or run. <laughs> I don't have any, I don't have any smaller wheels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're really just, some rollerblades or something. Oh my God, I'm not good with that either. <laughs> <laughs> Give me just two wheels. I'm good with two wheels. I'm good with bikes. And that's really it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm good with different. <laughs> and if I ha- we have a few bikes, you know, you know, the joke that people say the ideal number of bikes is like N plus one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that keeps happening. Um, but you know, we're trying to be better about that too. And um, with being part of Skull, like we, we built a number of bikes for that purpose, the different, we have about, a, I want to say six-ish bikes. That's just Skull bikes. Uh, so Six divided by two isn't, you know, it's not that much. Not terrible. We also had other bikes, but we've cut down over the years. We, we had more than we needed at one point than we've since gotten rid of those (laughs) so more people can have bikes besides us technically i have five (laughs) i like that's technically technically they're not all rideable at the moment Hmm. i have my road bike my touring bike my commuter bike and then i fished out a mountain bike frame it's over my shoulder over here uh, from the park this past winter and just threw a couple of new parts on it so I could ride around in the salt. And then I have um, a, basically a frame at this point that a friend had given me that I tried to return because I got right before the pandemic started and then didn't end up using it. I might just have to sell that one, but it is in my house, even though I have never really ridden that bike. Yeah, I had acquired an entire bike Mm-hmm. for probably a period of and it was like a, it was something like two or three years I had it maybe longer and we acquired it in a way that wasn't even like I went to the store and bought it like mm-hmm. we had distant relatives that were trying to get rid of it and I when I visited them across the country I, I rode it and it was a good fit for me because you know mm-hmm. the whole geometry with our bike fits you it's mm-hmm. not it's not always easy and I have a longer torso than I do legs well I guess it's more one-on-one so it's not I'm not like two to one that's a little bit different geometry but it's it's been hard to to find such a lot of legs it's hard to find bikes that fit me well so when they do I'm always like do I need this this is Mm going to be fine and this was a case where I acquired the bike didn't really use it because I have two others that I use regularly and I was worried that like is it too nice do I ride it does it get stolen if I lock it outside Mm. there's stuff like that I think about when I ride um I also have a small, too small for me, but I'm refused to get rid of it. Folding bike from my parents that they had, they, they got themselves, they have, um, Dayhan. I don't know if you know that brand, but I've heard of Dayhan. Yeah. Dayhan makes a good, like easy 
to a Ford folding bike versus like a Brompton, which is like yeah. the Cadillacs of folding bikes. And they <laughs> take them on their sailboat with them. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So we can jump off the ball and like ride around locally. Exactly. Yeah, that's nice. Okay. So what are your kind of future hopes and dreams for riding bikes with the kid? Uh, it, and, you know, beyond once he eventually moves to pedals, which I'm sure he will, he won't hold out as long as my little nephew has. <laughs> I'm impressed like six or seven. I mean, is he able to find um, balance bikes that fit him or he's just really big on his balance bike? He's just really big on his balance bike. He is a little afraid of change. He's not the most athletic uh, kid, like getting him outside is tough to begin with. So he doesn't actually ride the balance bike that much. And so I think it's, it's more about like, it would just be such an extra effort to move to this new bike that he doesn't want to, mm-hmm. he's really comfortable with the one he has, mm-hmm. it has like a little break and everything. So it's not too bad. This is not a solution that I would recommend anybody because it's an expensive solution. Mm-hmm. However, I will say my brother finally decided he's an older brother. He finally decided to ride a bike when we were children, because I was about to learn and he was not about to let his little sister learn how to ride before he learns how to ride. So that was a huge incentive for him. Well, he's the little brother and his older brother already rides his bike or rides bikes, I should say. So, right. So it would be expensive to have an other kid and then wait for them to be of riding age. Right. Yeah. That might might take a little too long. (laughs) Maybe 12, maybe yeah four years maybe nine (laughs) uh but do you have any like do you ever go on biking adventures or anything sure okay um as an offshoot I I can mention this as an offshoot um so I mentioned earlier that I haven't been riding with Skull very much the reason for that is um Skull uh, we our rides typically it's on the weekends, which is nice schedule wise, but it always leaves like uh, in the past anyway. I think that's changing now. Sorry, I'm like things have changed, and as I talk about my experience, I realize that I need to update my story. <laughs> totally um, fine. <laughs> it used to be that we leave uh, at 10 p.m. at just after 10 p.m. every ride, and now I think it's switching a little bit that we want to have more fluidity to that. Um, hmm. But prior to that, it kind of like became a thing that we want to do now going forward. I um. I sort of start to think about and talking with skull friends that have written in the past or are still currently writing. For those of us that can't stay up late anymore because we have different responsibilities than we did when we were in our 20s to sort of figure out like, how do we continue to have this social group that writes together, that enjoy each other? And also like for me, keep physically fit because I'm a lot less fit than I used to be when I wrote more. And we realized we needed to do more daytime hours. Um, and the joke was that how, how do we, what do we call ourselves if it's, uh, it's older than skull? <laughs> it's like, oh, that's easy. It's a pile of bones. So <laughs> we are now unofficially known as bones and it's mm-hmm. family friendly rides. And, uh, and it's a little bit different with than skull is in that I, I lead most of them right now. Uh, one of my other claim to flame fame, I guess, in, in skull is that I was one of the navigators that navigated a lot. Mm-hmm. I have this weird talents for knowing how to get around town like the side streets the 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 not the backyard I don't go into people's private property but like maybe like the university grounds that like we can Mm -hmm. zip through a little bit of that's really pretty with tall trees and school starts with h they don't like it when you go through there on bikes but Mm -hmm. but it's like 2 a.m maybe go through it here and there 
um, and leave quickly and respectful and don't leave stuff behind, you know, right. the usual polite stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, so as a navigator for school, I learned a lot about where to go. And um, that helps me now in sort of navigating for places and paths are safe for kids. Um, like big kids are little kids or big kids are already on their bikes, their own bikes. And we ride at a pace that's much slower so that they can keep up um, as much as possible. I want to find a destination so that we can, the parents, the guardians, whoever, the grownups and the kids can all take a break, which means we usually end up stopping at playgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, of course, riding during like daytime hours, that's more conducive to family schedules. So those are the things I'm trying to do. I started last year. I was supposed to start two years ago, but then the pandemic made it really weird to start things that are social. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I delayed it a little bit. Um, and once it, if officially we started last summer and bicycling, once they figured out it was a pretty safe thing to do while keeping some social distancing, uh, we made it happen. And so far we've had, my goal was I want to go on one bones ride last year. Uh, and we end up running, I think, three. So I'm pretty pleased that we <laughs> did, like, we achieved our goals by 300%. Like, let's nice. do it. <laughs> yeah, PQ is telling me about these rides because she takes yeah. her, her nephews, nieces. Nephews. Nephews, yeah. yeah. So we do a lot of, as we went out, we did a lot of, like, make sure Oliver was sandwiched inside. Mm-hmm. Like, there's adults on front in front and behind him and there is an adult on the side of him if we're on the main streets and I also navigated so that we were mostly on side streets as much as we could yeah it's nice to hear you talking about it that way so I just did a ride Uh, my friend was running a ride for the city of Cambridge I went out and took the music trailer Uh, but it was kid kid friendly middle of the day and kind of at the last minute she was told that she couldn't go on Mass Ave because we had kids with us and I was, you know, slightly annoyed because it was like the whole point is with a group, the child is going to be safer because we can do those types of things. We can sandwich them and whatnot. And so we ended up having to slightly go out of the way just to, wasn't, I mean, we didn't really go out of the way, out of the way, but I think the cutest thing about the whole ride though, is this one kid, he rode the whole thing. He was probably maybe six, six or seven. And he told me at the end of the ride, you know, this is the longest I've ever ridden. He had ridden three miles consecutively before. And after that day, he'd ridden nine miles. I was like, oh my God, that's a huge difference, especially at that age. So I was really proud of him, but it's, it's nice to hear you talking about how to like ride safely with the pack because you can, you can take, would it be better if there were protected lanes? Yes. And I will keep advocating for them, but you can take kids out in groups like that. And when we would ride my nephews, we always had the trailer. Um, and I would, one, I bought my sister a flag immediately because trailers really freak me out because they're so low to the ground. But two, whenever we would ride, I would be like, if this is the trailer, I'd be kind of here on the road next to them to, to keep them, which I realize I, I can't tell if I'm looking at a mirror, if that looks right to you, but I would be in the car and the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just cause it, you know, that extra protectiveness that you want to have for the kids. Yeah. Um, the way we did it with Oliver is um, if we knew we we're about to go onto the main road, I would sort of think about how safe it is to get over there and work with the parents. And they always brought the tag along. Mm-hmm. So if we needed to connect Oliver to an adult, like that's, we, we can make that choice right then. Yeah. Um, that's really nice to be able to have that flexibility, but I, as much as possible, I want to make sure people are safe. 
Um, that's yeah. funny because I, I, um, I think I saw that in Cambridge that right because I asked one of the organizers. I was at the uh, they were about to get back onto the bike path on Mass Ave, um, toward Alewife mm-hmm. from Davis. Um, well, actually, they were on Mass Ave between Porter and uh, the t- turn onto the bike path. We so were was, we actually turned onto the road next to the bike path. Away yeah, I, so I caught up. I was in I was leaving Porter Square and I saw you guys ahead and I caught up to the tail end and then you turned. Um, yeah. And I was like, what is this? And the person in the back told me it looked like an organizer had a DPW. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said that is a Cambridge City organized one. Like, really? They're doing that? And we, we kind of talked about how they sent a police cruiser. I'm like, it's just, that's yeah, kind of that one kind of bothered me. I mean, not we don't need to get into a discussion of police to no police. But what bothered me about it is they were behind us, which is fine, because sometimes the back of the ride is where cars start to get frustrated for the ride everyone's like oh that's so cool you're out for a ride which is why I like leading and but the second half of the ride the cruiser was in front of us and I really felt like we were being rushed through every intersection instead of like holding for the whole group to come back together the police officer would like push into the intersection and then block everyone and it wasn't my ride so I but I was like telling my friend who was running it she's like maybe we just hold and it's not our fault that they're not listening to us and going off into this intersection and I was like no you have to have a good relationship with them because you do work for the city so (laughs) (laughs) but like I I completely understand that um well we've been chatting for a little bit so I want to make sure I get to my last question before we have to sign off today which is uh you know some people look at someone and they think of them as the bike person. I have plenty of people in my life who look at me that way. Friends I know who are seen as, um, you know, the people who run things in the bike community. And, and the reality is that's a whole human with thoughts and feelings and hobbies and wants and needs and all of these things. So looking past uh, biking, looking past motherhood, what, what, you know, what do you like to do? What are your passions? Music, it sounds like. Yeah, but, music what, is a big thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is such a big question. I know, it's so difficult. Really, really diving deep. Um, what are my passions? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, be, a, be a good person and a better person whenever possible. I think that's like the, the, the first, that's what I, that's always on my mind. How do I be a better person? Yeah, that's a good one. Your answer. Do you um, like board games? No. Do you, do you go? I do. I mean, I, I, I love board games. I, I love like, you know, computer games. I love MMOs. I really love MMOs. And I haven't played one in a couple of decades because of how much I love them and how much I know. But I will just be lost into those worlds. Remind me what MMO stands for. Uh, massively multiplayer online. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like uh, uh, the World of Warcrafts and the... Uh, that's the first one that comes to mind. I know there's a whole <laughs> bunch of them. There are a bunch. And I actually have not really played any of them at length because I just know that I, I can't. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I puzzles, I, jigsaws. I just, I played through all four seasons of Uncharted, uh, sorry, seasons, all four Uncharted games because the new movie just came out with Tom Holland. And while it wasn't necessary in order to enjoy the movie and I've played the games before, I really felt like it enhanced my experience by obsessively yeah. playing through all of them plus the fifth companion game that they made with like two side characters. 
Um, so I, I understand all of that. <laughs> yeah. I, you sound like a completionist. Yes. And I don't have a child to take care of. A dog hardly counts in terms of, you know, the amount of attention that they need. He's already been asleep on my lap for like 20 minutes after he, he wanted oh, to play. So yeah. Um, yeah, dangerous place for completionists in the game world. Cause mm-hmm. uh, yeah. so that's why I like puzzles. Puzzles are good. Yeah. And it scratches that itch without, um, like there's a clear end mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that isn't like months and months away. <laughs> Usually depending on how hard the puzzle is. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I think most of my puzzling experience has been pretty well contained to days mm-hmm. most. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think that'll do it. Is there anything else that you feel like you want to share before we sign off today? Mm. Nothing small. Like the, the question you asked at the end was, I don't know. Like I think if besides what is what do I think about that? Um <laughs> Because now I'm, I'm now I'm kind of like thinking about that. it. Yeah, the I think if there's one big thing that I think about a lot more than like just do better, that's sort of connected is like things aren't fair. It's it, the world is not fair, and I think mm-hmm. a lot about fairness, and I try to do a lot about fairness. Mm-hmm. Um, something I like bringing it back to our conversation. Something I really like about bicycling is that it's a very accessible mode of transportation, and the more that we can make it accessible, even more accessible. It's just, it's it's kind of a nice tool and mm-hmm. like incredible invention to use to sort of balance things out for a lot of people. Um, and it's funny, as I say that, I'm thinking about all the ways that with, even within the bicycle community, like we have these like people with really expensive bikes and gear. Like I was seeing right by me, like that's one of my paychecks going by. <laughs> Um, and there are people that are like on bicycles that I see and I'm like, I'm worried that you're going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, or even just, Hey, you might want to put some air in that back tire. Okay. Just, yeah. that, you know, <laughs> yeah. or like that helmet, just tilt it like just a little bit. And then your mm-hmm. forehead is good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think about that. Then it yeah. comes back to this choice to have, you know, cause we're going down the path of cars and I'll talk about the the scale of what's affordable what's not and how accessible it is that's a whole other ballpark yeah oh yeah that we could have a whole nother conversation about that and at some point i'll have a real deep dive into just specifically that topic because it's a good one but it definitely comes up in a lot of my conversations um but yeah i think the long story short here is Kids don't have to take you away from biking. They can be integrated into the life that you want to lead. And I, I really liked what you were talking about with the immersion. I think that's a, a good point. If I ever show up at my sister's house and I'm not on a bicycle, my nephews are normally confused. Um, so just like having that as like part of what you do every day and kind of normalizing it is really good. Um, and yeah, we should all strive to just get out more, I think is the, the main through line on all of this. So YT, thank you so much for coming and chatting with me. And I do feel like I've made a new friend today. Likewise. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Yeah. yeah. And if I can, I'll try to convince the older nephew to come out to bones. Cause I think he would really enjoy it. 
that'd be so fun to see you on a ride. And I'll, yeah. I'll make sure that I send uh, whenever we, we start to start up again, once it gets warmer, I'll keep you posted. That would be excellent. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for being here and, you know, have a great time riding this year. Thanks. You too. That is a wrap on episode 10, folks. Oh my goodness. I cannot believe that I have finally gotten to this point. I don't have any specific rides to share, but next episode, I might have a really big announcement about a cool ride series that I'm going to be doing. Um, in the months of May and June. And just in general, there's going to be more rides to celebrate and talk about uh, as we get to this warmer weather. I do want to make a quick shout out, though, to the fact that tomorrow is April 1st. And other than being, of course, April Fool's Day, um, April is 30 days of biking. So what that means for all of you is that there are 30 days in April and you want to get into the habit of something, you got to do it for 30 days in a row, which means getting on your bike for every single day of April. That's what 30 days of April, excuse me, 30 days of biking means. For all of that, um, I do want to say you can follow me. I'm going to try to post every single day. I also want to point out that this could be a trainer day. We still have a lot of rain in April, so I totally get that. The idea is just to get yourself into the habit and to get really excited for spring. So do with that what you will, but I love 30 days of biking and I think it's a really good way to jumpstart your new spring. Thank you to uh, Bridget, Saskia, and YT for joining me on this episode. The theme and music for the show were created by the amazing Kate Hardley, and her album West is on her band camp. Again, amazing, beautiful songs. Love it. You can go listen there at katehardley.bandcamp.com and purchase uh, the album for yourself. Randonista is produced, hosted, recorded, and edited by me, Laura Jillian, with special guest host, Watson the Bike Dog. You can stay connected with the show randonista.com and see extra segments at Randonista on Instagram and the YouTube channel, uh, which is also called Randonista. And you can follow Watson's biking adventures at Watson the Bike Dog on Instagram. As with the show, I did get a little lax with my posting on Instagram, but that is all coming back. So take a look or keep a lookout for that. And finally, if you like the show, please rate and review on your podcast app. And don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And now, your Watson moment. Yeah. Oh, hold on one second. Watson! Hold on. <laughs> oh my gosh. Watson sounded Watson sounded so large in fears from my I know. <laughs> nope, he's just this little dog. His <laughs> friends are playing in the yard a couple like a block down from us and he can uh, always hear when they bark over there and so mm -hmm. he's getting jealous aren't you um i saw them walk by i don't know if you saw me like lean over at one point they walked by and i was waiting for him to bark then and he didn't so that was a delayed reaction on his part